Okay, ready? Take what you know and it's about a time when you get yourself in we are. I want to know something she's I think about everyone you need. I'm holding it. Things are moving real now. I have seen you wanting you. Hey. The tour ratio. Okay, though. The tour ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> You's a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. Let's talk about the Breonna Taylor case, because that's ongoing. That is deeply emotional for a lot of Black people and allies. Um... What what's going on there? What do most people not realize about what's really happening in that situation? You know, I hope, Ray, I hope that most people not understand that the police officers never should have been at Breonna Taylor's house in the first place. That they lied to a judge on a sworn probable cause affidavit to entice the judge to sign a no-knock warrant in violation of Breonna Taylor's Fourth Amendment constitutional rights against an unlawful search and seizure. Uh, I mean, it was unnecessary. It was unjustified. It was unconstitutional for them to be able to bust in our house at one o'clock in the morning and literally, I mean, literally execute her. Ben Crump is a super lawyer. He has helped so many black families who are trying to deal with the aftermath of their loved one getting shot and killed by police. And he has helped them get justice, get money, and put their lives back together. He is one of the people who is working to use his degree to make a difference in America. And I want to talk about the process that he uses and what other lawyers can do to get the results that he's getting. It is the incomparable, heroic Ben Crump on Torre Show. Tell me about the fight, because I look at you as the tip of the spear for some of our justice work in this country, right? In the past, we had, you know, Malcolm and Martin and the Panthers and whatnot, you know, and and now you are one of those people. Um, Do you think your legal work can help us get to a sense of justice for all of us? Well, that is the goal every day, to try to give black people an equal opportunity at the American promise of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I literally just got off the phone talking about our lawsuit against Wells Fargo uh, mm-hmm. for discriminating against black people, what we typically refer to as banking while black. You know, these police uh, shooting high profile cases get all the attention, but the work that we're doing that I believe is making the most significant impact is what we're doing suing corporations 
suing banks, uh, suing for environmental injustice, where black people keep being discriminated against as if we are irrelevant, insignificant, invisible, and inferior. And so those are the things that we don't often talk about in the media, but are far more substantive to the black community getting equity. And so I see my work as an extension of my personal hero, Thurgood Marshall, who Mm -hmm. uh, said, you know, we have to use whatever resources we have to make the Constitution ours, because they never meant for the Constitution to be uh, applied to black people. Do you think that you are going to be able to change policing in America when folks know somebody like you will come along and demand justice in a in a situation? You know, Ture, I, I was naive enough to believe that after George Floyd, we were going to see less killing of black people in Jesse. And the jury is still out on that. I mean, the statistics for 2022 are alarming. I mean, we're on a record pace to break the record of, uh, I think, 1,450, you know, uh, killings by police, whether unjust or not, they have to be determined. But what I will tell you, brother, is they know now that police officers, there's a stronger chance of them going to jail now for killing black people unjustly. We, and we, we, put one, we put one in jail. Well, no, we, we well, put okay, four. We put four in jail. And think about it, Terrell. Like well, five with Kim Potter. Five with Kim Potter. We uh, put the four with George Floyd. We also, uh, both them, Jean, uh, the white mm-hmm. lady mm-hmm. who got mm-hmm. convicted. In Dallas, mm-hmm. in Texas, yeah. Uh, we have charges pending on Andre Hill in Ohio. I think he's going to be convicted. Pam Turner trial starts in Houston, Texas. That's the black woman who was killed, who was having a mental health crisis on video that I think is just as bad as George Floyd. I think he's going to be convicted. So what we're seeing, and then obviously Breonna Taylor, that historical, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, feat by DOJ. And um, I hope we get to talk about that a little bit Mm -hmm. in this interview. But so you see the Pentium swinging that police officers are starting to be held accountable. But I do think the real thing, and I know my my political consultant, Teslin Figaro, always tells me, and I think she is onto something on this here, is it's good to put the cops in jail, but America still is fundamentally a capitalistic society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You keep making those cities have to pay 10 and $20 million being crumped every time they kill black people they going to do something about these police officers because they ain't going to let themselves go bankrupt because police officers shoot us in the back. Now, they want to condone it. They, they want to condone the status quo, but but they love money. These, these situations that we're talking about have been happening for decades and longer. 
I feel like you are unique in that you are making a difference for a lot of the families in a lot of these communities. What are you doing differently as a lawyer that other attorneys were unable to do before you or that your peers are unable to do that you keep getting success in these situations? You know, it's interesting, Tori, because we've been on this journey together and, and I applaud you for always covering our people, giving us a voice and speaking truth to power. I mean, back when we were fighting for Trayvon Martin, Hell yeah. uh, which 10 years ago, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years, man. Um, and so, I, you know, I, uh, I get it. As I, I talked about in the Netflix documentary they did on me, Civil, you know, God has given me influence for a reason. And shame on me if I don't use that influence to try to help those who have no influence, who have no voice. And so I make that my objective. And so if whatever comes with that, uh, whether it's success and notoriety or money or what have you, that's fine. But the objective, first and foremost, is to be an unapologetic defender of Black life, Black liberty, and Black humanity, and be able to articulate to the greater community, the greater society, that we matter. And what I think, if anything, the, you know, I, I try to be very honest. I don't think the press nor corporations or anybody care anything about uh, Black people or people in general. What they care about is profits and ratings and stock uh, quarterly reports. And so what I try to do as much as I can is play the game of chess out and not make it just simply about my clients getting some sense of justice or accountability, but also make it about their expediency. When I sue corporations, I'm trying to sue to affect that stock price to where it's not just a black person issue, not it's that CEO's survival for that boy looking at him saying, hold on, why didn't you resolve this with Crump and those black people? Now you hurting our bottom line. So now it's about his job and his livelihood. We try to do the same thing with police and police chiefs and police departments. We try to build the argument in the court of public opinion that this is unsustainable and unacceptable and you all need to do something about this. And so like Thurgood Marshall did and few others, you understand you fighting in the court of law, in the court of public opinion, and most people can't win in the court of public opinion because they can't make society care about black life. And so I, I grapple with it, how we do it to write, you know, I'm calling in all kind of favors. I'm, I'm Trayvon, you trying to show that our children are just like your children, Breonna Taylor, you know, those things, because if we don't, do it. If we don't figure it out, then they don't care about black people getting killed. So fighting in the court of public opinion is critical to you having power when you go into a, a private room to negotiate. It, it really is. And, and, you know, it influences every aspect of it. I, I talk to members of the Congressional Black Caucus. We talk to the White House regularly. Uh, and so forth, because what I do understand too, Tere, you know, it's it's a game of chess, not checkers. 
they gonna come to us just like uh, Lorraine Hansberry said when it's election time, and they gonna come promise us, promise us everything in the world. And what I want to remind them is what Janet Jackson said: "What have you done for us lately?" And so when I call them and they don't respond to us, well, I I, I got to pray and work on myself. But I don't forget. Because Torrey, then when they want to use George Floyd or they want to use Breonna Taylor or something, uh, I say, no, no. But when we called y'all, y'all didn't respond. So now y'all calling us to try to help you deliver the, another miraculous, miraculous black voter turnout. Mm. So I, I, I noticed the, the your work in the court of public opinion first with Trayvon Martin. That was the first time that I felt like there was a, a black person was killed and there was quickly a, a wide array of humanizing pictures that made him look like, you know, a really nice kid. The family and the representatives defined how he was going to be seen. Here's a picture of him skiing. Here's a picture of him on horseback. Here's a picture of him in his football uniform. Here's a picture of him. And we didn't even realize his parents were separated until like three or four weeks into the whole thing. So they look like this great unit and they are a great unit, even though they're separated, but we didn't need to know that detail on day one. And the presentation of him galvanized people to be like, Yo, he's a good boy. This should not have happened. Whereas so many other cases, something happened. The initial imagery does not support supporting him. And the story goes in a different direction. Yeah, it's about trying to frame the issue. So many times the police and uh, unsympathetic and sometimes discriminatory society will try to define our children as being unworthy of America's consideration. Mm -hmm. And that's what they wanted to do with Trayvon on day one when they let his killer go home and sleep in his bed at night, even though Trayvon only had a bag of Skittles and a can of iced tea. And they said, you know, we just going to sweep it under the rug as if it did not matter. And I, one of the things I think about Trayvon and so many emotions and feelings come back, the one thing that really exploded in my heart, and I think in Black people's hearts all across America, Teray, we have, you know, unregrettably, we have become accustomed to white police killing our children unjustly. Mm -hmm. But then with Trayvon and the Stand Your Ground law, it was any Tom, Dick, or Harry white boy a white man could mm. kill our children and say they were in fear of their life and get away with it. And mm. that was what I think was just a convergence of issues that propelled Trayvon Martin to say this black kid life mattered. He was a good kid. He was a person who mother and father were trying to expose him, taking him to Broadway, taking him to ski. I mean, he was just like your kids. And so just like you love your children, we love our children. And you look at how white media still tried to portray him, even though the HBCUs and the LeBron Jameses of the world and even President Barack Obama all were saying, no, no, if I had a son, 
he would look like Trayvon. He would be like Trayvon. But they tried to say Trayvon was a thug. Mm-hmm. He was a criminal. Mm-hmm. He was a menace to society. And Trayvon mm-hmm. didn't kill nobody. And you just oppose that, how they treated 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse, who actually killed people. They Come made on. him be an angel. And Come so on. that told me is if we don't get out front and define our young people who they kill unjustly, like Breonna Taylor, then they would define it for us. And that is a craft to do. You really have to know how to push back on the media when they say, oh, well, Breonna dated the drug dealer three years ago. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Let's talk about the Breonna Taylor case, because that's ongoing. That is deeply emotional for a lot of black people and allies. Um, what What's going on there? 
what do most people not realize about what's really happening in that situation? You know, I hope, Ture, I hope that most people not understand that the police officers never should have been at Breonna Taylor's house in the first place, that they lied to a judge on a sworn probable cause affidavit to entice the judge to sign a no-knock warrant in violation of Breonna Taylor's Fourth Amendment constitutional rights against an unlawful search and seizure. Uh, I mean, it was unnecessary. It was unjustified. It was unconstitutional for them to be able to bust in our house at one o'clock in the morning and literally, I mean, literally execute her. I, you know, it was a hard thing. We didn't really show the pictures of her body, the bullets in her body, but it was it was akin to Emmett Till when you saw the bullet holes right above her breasts and in her stomach. I mean, Fred Hampton. Was, I'm sorry. Make you think about Fred Hampton. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they execute her body was mutilated with eight bullets. I mean, all on a lie, all on a lie. And so they were going to get away with it, too. Well, I mean, why, why, why were they lying to go? Why did they want to go to that house? Were they mistaken? Did they did they what was what were they trying to do? Brianna had dated a guy three years ago. And that the police, for whatever reason, were trying to get this low level drug dealer. Um, and there are a lot of theories out there. I don't know if they true that they were shaking down, you know, black drug dealers uh, for money. Don't know. But we know they were trying to get him. Brianna was one of five people that associated with him where his money may be. And, you know, Brianna, I mean, no criminal history. Like any young sister, you you meet people, you fall for them, you find out that, hey, it ain't going to work between us, and you try to move on with your life. She was dating Kenny, and Kenny was her boyfriend, and this sister was working two jobs. She was two and a half semesters away from getting her nursing degree from college. I mean... She was doing everything right, but they, I guess, said she's insignificant to our objective. If we want to bust in our house, we can. And so they lied. As we're seeing play out now with all these no-knock warrants going into Black people homes in the wee hours of the morning, which is the most dangerous time to execute a no-knock warrant, and I know not one in and of itself to rate is dangerous. Even if you're doing it in the daytime, can you imagine sitting in your house and somebody bust in all of a sudden and you, I mean, completely caught off guard. If you are saying I'm an American citizen, I got just as much right to the second amendment as anybody else. Yeah. Since the NRA and all these conservatives keep saying the second amendment is akin to the second commandment, then you got to assume 
that people are going to have guns to protect themselves from home invasions and burglaries. And that's exactly what Kenny was doing. Brianna's boyfriend, he was licensed to carry a gun. He was trying to protect his queen, protect their castle at 1 a.m. in the morning. And when people came through, he fired back thinking it was criminals. And when he did that, you know, it was over 87 bullets, they said, fired. And both of them were supposed to be dead. Uh, and But that's what happened. And Brianna was collateral damage. And if you watch the documentary, you, you remember the the losses, even though we got a record settlement, we still wanted justice for this black woman because black women hardly ever get justice, almost never get justice. And if you remember that doc in the documentary, my mom and I, we talk almost every day. And my mother, the one thing I remember in the documentary is when I call my mother and she said, my Lord, no justice for Brianna. Kentucky gonna burn tonight. And I remember, you know, saying to her, no, we don't, we don't need Kentucky to burn because violence still won't be the solution, but it is a devastating blow for black women in America who never get justice. Uh, the Washington Post did a, uh, a study, an article that backs up what Malcolm X said, that black women are the most unprotected, most neglected, and most disrespected people in America. And that Washington Post said from 2015 to 2020, 400 black women have been killed by police or killed in police custody. And only eight police officers out of those 400 tragedies were charged. And four of the police officers' cases were dismissed. And the other four played down to misdemeanors. And so that's why what happened in recent weeks with Christian Clark and Merrick Garland, uh, Civil Rights Department of DOJ, charging those officers. It marked the first time that police officers have been charged for killing a black woman in America on the federal level. And so that's why it's so historic. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know we're in the game. When you talk about looking at a photograph of her her body mutilated. I'm sure you're seeing a lot of photographs like that. You're hearing a lot of stories, even if you can't take the case or the case does not become famous, you're hearing these stories. I know a lot of uh, family members are crying on your shoulder. And just because the case is over doesn't mean they're not still talking to you and seeking counsel and let me cry on your shoulder again. What emotional impact is it having on you? that all these people are coming to you with these tragedies and these horrific photographs and these tears, and you're constantly absorbing it from the Arbery family, the Taylor family, the Floyd family, the Wright family, you know, the Martins, on and on and on. Like, how, what is that doing to you? you? You know, I go back to Thurgood Marshall, who uh, I read a lot about him, uh, because he dealt with a lot of these things. And uh, he's my champion for so many reasons. Because, you know, I get the death threats 
but I think it was more drastic when Thurgood would get the death threats in the 50s, and he kept showing up anyway, knowing that the lynch mob could get him at any point. And I, I never take the death threats lightly. Uh, I, I get it. There are a lot of sick people in the world. But what Thurgood said, and you got to remain strong, uh, and you got to try to be strong for everybody else because they're looking to you, to especially these families, to try to help them make sense of something that makes no sense at all. And so, to Ray, what I try to do is I try to be strong for them to give them some sense of hope, some sense of stability that, okay, we got to try to deal with just getting through the funeral first. And and we're going to have to do interviews because if you don't do interviews, then people will quickly forget about the black life. And so I'm compartmentalizing a lot. because it it obviously takes a toll on you and you'll be less than human if it didn't. But I, I try so hard not to give way to my emotions in front of them. One of the things about the documentary, and I give a lot of credit to Nadia Hogren, this young, brilliant Afro-Puerto Rican sister who uh, directed it and, and she directed Michelle Obama's Becoming as well. She she always kept the cameras rolling, even after the family would leave when we interacted and so forth. And I would find myself to always rubbing my forehead, rubbing my temples. And kind of what that said to me a little bit is that was my physical manifestation of the mental anguish that you endure from dealing with so much death and so much loss and so much trauma over and over. You just, I always, I'm rubbing my head constantly. And maybe that's evidence that I do it. And and lately I have said that I'm going to talk to mental health counselors because I think it's real and we all know it's real, but what's also real to me is you want so greatly to be able to deliver them justice. And even though we always went on the civil side, we we always get the cities and them held accountable on the civil side. We have no control on the criminal side. So that's when uh, the Kentucky Attorney General, you know, did that sham grand jury proceeding and said none of those officers were going to be uh, charged for killing this innocent black woman in her own home. That's the other thing that pisses us off about Brianna. If you can't be safe in your own home in the sanctity of your home, where can black people be safe? The, uh, the, you, you're representing the Wright family, right? Dante Wright's family. That story was so sad. This boy, basic traffic stop, you know, n- not threatening any people, you know, not 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 a significant danger to society in any way. Um, and then she murdered him by accident. You know, how did you help the family get through that situation? Man, that was a that was so tough. Not only 
He was 17? Uh, 17 years old. Uh, and a father? Father, young child. They, they said initially, air freshener. Then they changed it to tag. But either one of them are minor, minor traffic violations that you could have gave them a, him a notice to appear. Even if he leaves, we know where he is. We could yeah. find him. Where he going to run to? To be shooting him? To Even if you did taser him while driving, other people are then endangered by him being incapacitated behind. So what are you doing? Clearly, that's not police procedure. Yeah, and it was such a difficult time because it was in the height of the Derek Chauvin trial for killing George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, George Floyd alleged crime was a $20 a misdemeanor. Bill. I mean, it's a $20 counterfeit bill. You could give him a notice to appear. But there's this tendency when it's black people in America for the police to do the most, not the least. They do the most over and over again. Dante Wright shouldn't have never even been tasered. I mean, right. if she said that was her Sometimes kid. Some of us who are not involved in criminal activity, when we get stopped by the police, we are offended and we may give them some of that energy or be frustrated with them. Why are you bothering me? I'm not doing anything. And they don't like the, the the perceived disrespect. So now they got to show you how badass they are. And now you have a situation and the situation was resisting arrest when it was really, we were talking about jaywalking and it suddenly became this whole big thing. Yeah. And, and you have to remember too, they are the trained professionals now. We have given them a license to use necessary, necessary force up to deadly force, which is a huge power to give entity. So they're supposed to be trained professionals. They're supposed to be able to deal with a public challenging them. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash thrivemarket.com slash On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. They do it all the time with our white brothers and sisters because Come we on. see 
the white people challenged the police constantly. Did you see the one recently that was all over social media where the black, I mean, the white woman was in handcuffs, somehow got out, took the gun in the back of the police car and literally was shooting at the cops. They surrounded the car and they peacefully got her to come out. If that was a black person too, right? How many bullets would they have fired into that police car? We're talking about Thurgood Marshall, who had an incredibly important impact on America, but even before he became a Supreme Court justice. There are young attorneys and young college students who are like, I want to be like Ben Crump when I get older. And 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 I want to have that sort of impact and be a defender for black families. What does that person who's in college or in law school or a young lawyer need to do to become, you know, more like you and be a defender of the community? Absolutely. Uh, And we need them. God knows we need as many social engineers for justice and equality as possible. Um, The first thing I think you have to do, you have to have the passion. You have to say, I'm going to choose to fight for black people. It's a choice. I mean, and it's not an easy choice because people are going to say you're controversial. They're going to say you're a race beta. They're going to say all manner of things about you. You are uh, a problem, you know, and it's not going to be easy because it's not just going to be the white people. It's going to be your own community saying it too. But you just have to say, I'm making a conscious choice that I'm going to be passionate about fighting for black lives, fighting for black people. I, I said in the interviews, uh, and I continue to say it too, right? My mission in life, well, the thing that they're probably going to put on my tombstone is that he was an unapologetic defender of black life, black liberty, and black humanity. And so you start there with the passion. And then you got to follow it with courage. Like I talked about Thurgood Marshall. We we talk about passion, we talk about courage, but I'm a young lawyer. This family's lost their son, their daughter by the police. You know, I, 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 how, what do I do? What is what is the playbook that yeah. I use to, to defend them? Yeah, well, the the that's that's a different question, but I, I will address that. I think you have to try to build a coalition. It has to be a team effort. I, I always say that it's never about I; it's about we. If you ever see me in a press conference, I'm never going to. Uh, just be saying, I did it. It's going to be reflective sunshine. I'm going to have all the lawyers working with me, uh, uh, brothers, sisters, white, black, Hispanic. And I'm going to continue to try to highlight their significance into this effort of us achieving. Because once you make it about it's us, then other people buy into it. It's not just about your ego or you trying to get some acclaim. It's about the mission. It's about the cause. And the cause has to be bigger than all of us. So that young lawyer who gets the case, you you reach out to the uh, grassroots community activists. You reach out to the civil rights organizations. You start talking to the preachers. You start talking to the politicians. And you say, 
and we got this case, and you always say we, we got this case where this black kid was in his bed and the police shot him, and we can't let them get away with this. We got this case where this black boy was shot in his back, and we got video. We got to amplify this video. We can't let them get away with this. If they make it their mission where it's about uh, bringing people together, then you can win in the court of public opinion. No guarantee. No guarantee you win in the court of law because the court of law was written and built for police and the status quo corporations to be able to get away with injustices against marginalized people, especially marginalized people of color. That's the advanced torts case that, that I gave them the basics uh, in the court of public opinion. But when we have that court of public opinion, then we have some more power. Exactly. Uh, in the court of public opinion, you know, not just in these high profile police cases, but in all manner of things, the court of public opinion has a significant influence on the court of law. We, we saw it with Ruth Bader Ginsburg with the women's issues, winning in the court of public opinion and how that influenced the court of law. We saw it with my personal hero, Thurgood Marshall, you know, of school desegregation, how he had to win over the court of public opinion before he could get, you know, the laws changed uh, to desegregate the school. And even with the LGBTQ issues, you had to win it in the court of public opinion before you could get any laws supporting them in the court of law. So you understand the power of the court of public opinion, but it's a, it's a journey to justice. Just like, you know, Johnny Cochran talked about, it's always a journey. It's never going to happen overnight. So wait, so after you have aroused the court of public opinion, made your argument there, then, 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 what, then what? How do you use that power that you've gained from there to get to justice? Well, then you start talking, uh, uh, politics has a, a big part of everything. And so once you got the court of public opinion on your side and the people are saying it's outrageous what happened to George Floyd, outrageous what happened to Maude Aubrey, outrageous what happened to Breonna Taylor, then when people are emotional, then they are going to act on that emotion. If you can get the people, they, they teach us that as trial lawyers. When you're in the courtroom, your job is to get them emotional because people act on emotion. People don't act a lot of times on logic or anything, but it's emotion. And that's what you're fighting for in that court of public opinion. You're trying to put a face on the injustice. Oftentimes, if you don't have that face to put on the injustice, then nobody really cares about it. Trayvon was the face of stand your ground and how bad it was for our community and our children. George Floyd, my God, became the face of police brutality. Breonna Taylor became the face of the tragedies associated with no-knock warrants. And I mean, the list goes on and on. You have to put that face and make sure it's a compelling issue that you have framed, not that police have framed, because the police are never going to frame it to benefit our people. So once you get the court of public opinion, you then get to these elected officials and say, Hey, if you want to remain in power, then you need to do something to address these concerns, whether it's the 
district attorney or prosecutor, whether it's the uh, mayor who picks the police chief, whether it's the sheriff, whether it's the judge, whether it's the state representative, whether it's the governor of that whether state. Whether it's the president who needs to call Merrick Garland. Whether it's the president of the United States. Yeah. I mean, once they get in motion, I, I think about the Trayvon voters having an impact on helping President Barack Obama get reelected. I think about the uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery voters voting in Georgia to help deliver the United States Senate to the Democrats and deliver the White House to President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. Those black people were out there risking their lives in a pandemic voting with those images in their mind. So, okay, I didn't realize that I was asking you a different question because when I said, what is the playbook? You said, that's a different question. I didn't realize that. So let's go back to what you were saying before about how a younger lawyer ends up being like you. And there's room, there's room for, for more folks like you. And I know you would welcome, you talk about courage, you talk about passion. What else does that younger lawyer need to do to become, you know, like you, a protector of the community? Yeah, you know, I go back and I read books like uh, Frederick Douglass, Up From Slavery and so forth. And I remember him saying, you know, you have to accept the universal brotherhood, fatherhood of God, and the soul aristocracy of intellect. I believe that the mission always has to be about the future. And so you have to take an oath that as I climb, I lift up. And we have to make sure that our children will be more intelligent than those who will seek to oppress them. That is the only way we win this war. So you have to be strategic in your thinking. You got the passion. You got the courage. And I never take likely courage because it's so easy. It's so easy for you to lose your nerve when you're in these battles. For you to say, man, is it worth it? I mean, everybody's attacking me. I think about my personal heroes like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Thurgood Marshall. Each one of them have those stories where they were the most hated people in America, not just by white people, but right. by black people. I it's, mean, Thurgood Marshall, my personal hero, he wanted to be the president of NAACP, and they said, no, nah, he's just not the guy for us. I wonder if there's also a greater, a different challenge, too, because for a long time, you were you were not making a lot of money doing this work, right? The the money has been a more recent development. And how often is a, a young, talented lawyer have the opportunity to do something that makes them a lot of money? And they're like, I'm going to go to that instead of over here. Yeah, yeah and, and you can't blame them for it, neither. No. I, I, I never, because you shouldn't have to take a vow of uh, poverty to try to help your community, help your people. And so I never advocate that there. And But I say, even if you go work in the corporate jobs and so forth, still try to do something. Still try to do something that can benefit your community and why you went to law school in the first place, whether that's taking on a, a wrong-for-death case, I mean, a wrong-for-conviction case or a death row case, something where you can use your 
uh, skills, your legal talents, your blessings that God gave you to go back and help the community. Uh, Harry Belafonte probably gave me one of the best compliments I'll ever get in my life uh, down at the uh, Trayvon Martin annual dinner where we were honoring him that day. He said in the Harry Belafonte voice, he said, Ben Crump, you have made civil rights law in vogue again. He said that after Dr. King and I, we had won the Civil Rights Act and we had got, you know, uh, opportunities for all kinds of black people. Everybody went for money. Everybody went to the corporate jobs and so forth. Nobody was doing civil rights anymore. But but you with Trayvon and these other cases, you are bringing our people back to civil rights. And I, that was pro, that was very humbling to me. One of the things within that point also, before you were prominent, our friend, the Reverend Sharpton, did a lot of this work. He's not a lawyer, but he, he stood in the same position that you stand in now. And we both like and respect the Reverend. He's our friend. The criticism, the knock on him was always that he's a grandstander and it seemed very egotistical. And there was it seemed to others that there was a lot of look at me in his presentation. And I don't want to critique him, but in your self-presentation, it's never look at me. It's never about me. It's very much about we. And I don't think anybody thinks it's an egotistical gesture for you. Yeah, and you know, I've learned so much from Reverend Al. I, I consider him a great mentor for me. And uh, I, I like to give credit where credit is due. Before the cases become popular, him and National Action Network always try to answer the bell, even when the papers aren't there, the media isn't there. Yeah. So I, I'm always grateful to him. And everybody has style differences. Um, I, I'm a country boy from North Carolina. I never try to be anybody I, I'm not. Uh, you know, I go in courtrooms and as much as I try to use all my fancy words and so forth to write, I think what essentially wins those cases for me, where we get tens of millions of dollars against all these Ivy League lawyers, is the jury, whether white, black, brown, they somehow find credibility in the arguments that we are putting forth that are about the cause, about people, about us as a society being better than we are right now, that we can be better. We're better than what happened to George Floyd. We're better than these banking wild black cases. We're better than what happened in Flint, Michigan, with these children being poisoned by their own government. You keep talking about that, and I think that's how you win. I don't think you ever win by grandstanding or making it by you, because, you know, Fox News said I was the most dangerous man in America, and that blew me away in the sense, to Ray, because I said, man, you think about all these mass murderers, these uh, white supremacists, people and everything, and you're going to say, I'm the most dangerous black are man, you, I mean, are you, dangerous man in America, and I said, what? 
because I'm trying to help black people get equality? Is that what makes me so dangerous? Well, to them, yes. But but are you are you afraid for your life? Well, I, I you know, it's real. The threats are real. Uh, I try I, I try to encourage my wife not to answer any mail that comes to the house for me because I don't want her to open one of those letters and you see the hateful, evil, vile threats that they make towards me. Uh, and I, I that's a real concern. Um, but even doing the letting Netflix follow me for that year was a, a, a big decision because I knew my wife and my daughter would have to be in the spotlight some. And I understand I've made a choice to do it. Uh, but to have them in there as a father, as a husband, was a very difficult choice. And, and I, I tried to balance that with the, the global bullhorn to be able to speak truth to my power on a, a bigger stage. But with that, it brought more of the nasty letters and more of the social media threats. And what I believe, and I, I, my mom, nobody likes me saying this, but I believe it in my heart. If I'm to die fighting for the future of our children to have a better life and a better world, then my living isn't in vain. And you have to believe that. It can't just be rhetoric. No, I'm willing to die for my children. I'm willing to die for the future of black children. And uh, if I have to meet such a fate, then I want those young people who admire me today to know there's a cost for freedom and we have to be willing to pay it no matter what personal sacrifice or obligation that takes upon us. We, I, I, I admire so much Stephen Biko and those uh, prominent civil and human rights leaders who said we refuse to let black people uh, live in bondage. No, we got to be willing to die to have our people be free. And uh, that's why I go back to an uh, unapologetic defender of black life, black liberty, and black humanity. We're not apologizing for it. And if we die fighting for it, then so be it. We knew exactly what we're doing. We made a choice every day. Brother, you are doing the real work at helping us move toward liberation and justice. And uh, you're invaluable. And, you know, and I, I don't know what the community today would look like without you. Uh, Teray, thank you, man. I, you know, this means a lot even getting to spend this time with you because I remember you being one of the first prominent voices talking about Trayvon and writing on it. And um, we've we've made a lot of progress. We still have a long way to go, but I can't do what I do without you doing what you do. And we all in this together, brother.
Thanks so much to Ben for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. Maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. 